Attention. This podcast contains subject matter that may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. From out of the darkness, you hear voices that send shivers down your spine. That feeling of dread is undeniable when you notice the monster under the bed is trembling. The aliens are scrambling to get back to the mothership, and the vampires are refusing to rise. Your reptilian overlords are pleased to force on you two humans they swear are not their captives. Your hosts, Michael and Wendy. This is Eerie and Absurd. Welcome back to Eerie and Absurd. I'm Mike. I'm Wendy. And this is Missing Monday, episode 8. Yes. We are going to discuss Jennifer and Adriana Wicks' disappearance out of Robertson County, Tennessee. All right. My main sources for this episode are from multiple Tennessean articles, but then there's a really, really good episode from the Vanished podcast where they interview um, Jennifer's mother, and she provides a lot of insight into their disappearance. Yeah. Jennifer Wicks was known to stay in constant contact with members of her family. It was rare that someone in her family didn't speak with her at least once daily. She was always talking to somebody. However, on the night of Friday, March 26th of 2004, the family knew something was terribly wrong when no one had heard from Jennifer since the previous day. So we're going to say a full 24 hours and everybody's like, ah, something is not right. On March 27th, Jennifer's mom, Kathy, reports 21-year-old Jennifer Wicks and her two-year-old daughter, Adriana Wicks, missing to the police. Kathy tells the police that the last time that she spoke with Jennifer was on March the 24th when Jennifer had called her upset over a heated argument she had just had with her boyfriend. Jennifer and her boyfriend, whose name is William Joey Benton, had only been dating for about a year. And unfortunately, it was not uncommon for the two to argue. It was one of those relationships where they were just kind of back and forth in the sense. And the mom wanted to do everything she could to get her away from him, but... She just kept going back. According to Kathy, at one point, Joey had even pulled a gun on Jennifer, which had prompted Kathy, who at that time had lived in another state, to move closer to Jennifer and to Adriana. Kathy states that Joey was not allowed on her property at her house due to at least one incident where she had him arrested because he kicked in her door. That's pretty aggressive. (laughs) That's stupid. The last known official family contact that Jennifer had with anybody occurred on March 25th around 11 a.m. when Jennifer had talked with her father, Michael Wicks, on the phone. One article stated that Michael and Jennifer had discussed an argument that occurred between her and the Benton family. At the time of their disappearance, Jennifer and Adriana were living with Jennifer's boyfriend, Joey, on his family's property in Cross Plains, Tennessee. Now, I did see some comments made that the girls didn't live inside the family home, the Benton family home. But instead, they lived in like what some people reference as either a barn or a shed behind the home. There was even one reference where I guess they had lived back there and then they moved back into the home. But then something had happened or occurred where they ended up moving back out to the shed or the barn. The only thing I can note is that there was probably no running water out there. I'm assuming that they had maybe electricity because, I mean, otherwise you wouldn't be able to stay out there. Right. But I'm not even sure of all the details of that. When the girls were reported missing, the Robertson County Sheriff's Office apparently went to the Benton home to complete a welfare check. However, they left after speaking with Joey, who told them that Jennifer and Adriana were not there and no, they wouldn't be back. Now, I'm not real sure 
what other information the police may have received when completing the welfare check, but it was figured out that the last person to physically see Jennifer and Adriana was Joey Benton. So when somebody comes in for a welfare check, I guess I don't know what all is asked. Mm -hmm. If like specifically, especially if it's a mom and a daughter or do you just, if they're not there, what do you do? I guess they just ask, do you know where they are? Will they be back? Yeah. What else can they do? I don't, I don't know. To say definitively that they won't be back though. Yeah. With them having an off and on again relationship, maybe Mm. he was mad. I don't know. Yeah, it had only been a few days since he had apparently seen her. His story did change at least once, but actually it changed quite a few times. Um, and I'm not talking like small details or even like a big detail. The whole story changed at least once. And so we're going to go over that just slightly. So at first, he stated that Jennifer and Adriana left their home with a friend of hers that he didn't know. That's all he knew. Second, he stated that they had had an argument and Jennifer asked him to take her and Adriana to a local Exxon gas station, but he couldn't remember which one. Cross Plains is a very small rural area. I doubt that there's more than one Exxon gas station. More than likely, there's maybe more than one gas station, but I doubt there's more than one Exxon, especially at that time, 2004. Yeah. Third, he tells police that Jennifer and Adriana left his house in a white four-door Ford Mustang, or it was a white four-door Chevrolet Camaro. Yeah, I don't think they make a four-door Ford Mustang. No. Is there a four-door Camaro even? I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure either. But but I know they don't make a four-door Ford Mustang. Did the police question that? Um, this information has not been verified or corroborated. Now, this isn't the only thing. So then I find an article that states where he stated that they had an argument. Jennifer asks him to take her and Adriana to a local grocery store. Then he drops them both off around 930 at an Exxon gas station located near exit 112 off of I-65 in Cross Plains. So at least we've kind of got an idea of where this Exxon is now. I mean, is he telling the same detectives this? I have no idea. Then he states that when both Jennifer and Adriana got out of his vehicle, she asked him to leave. But instead of leaving, he pulls into a parking lot across the street and he waits. He's watching them. And then after five to 10 minutes, he watches them get into the backseat of a 90s white four-door vehicle. According to Joey, the next day, Jennifer came back to his house. She's driving the white car and she's coming back to get her belongings and the money from her income tax. Jennifer didn't have a bank account, so she had had her money deposited into Joey's parents' bank account. While there, Joey tells her that she'll have to come back because his parents weren't home. And so they either needed to write her a check or they needed to pull the money out to give to her. And the only items that were missing that belonged to Jennifer and Adriana were Adriana's car seat, her diaper bag, Jennifer's wallet, and her eyeglasses. Everything else was still there. So whatever belongings she got, those were the only things missing. Yeah, it didn't get very much. Yeah. And it seems like she would have had that the previous day when she left because those were like necessities. Right. There is one other item that was brought up in Kathy's interview with the Vanished podcast. Adriana was sick when she went missing. The Monday before she went missing, Jennifer had taken Adriana to the ER. Adriana was having difficulties when she needed to go to the potty. She was apparently crying each time she tried to urinate or would urinate. Now, while at the ER, she was diagnosed as having a UTI, urinary tract infection, and was provided with the prescription. It's not common for a two-year-old 
to have a UTI. And with this age group, this can be a sign of possible sexual abuse. That's what I was thinking. Now, however, this is not always the case, and there can be something else going on. She could have had like a weakened immune system, diabetes, or there could be a cleanliness issue. Not meaning that she was dirty in any way. It just means like the last few times, depending on who had changed her, because she's two, she's probably still in a diaper or pull up or something. Maybe she wasn't wiped appropriately or cleaned off appropriately, but it is uncommon. And it was enough of a concern that after Jennifer had gotten back, she did call her aunt, her mom's sister, and discussed it. There are a few articles that state the Benton property had been searched at least four times by investigators. However, this has apparently been done each time without a warrant. So that means that the Bentons were able to pick and choose where the search occurred. Oh. When Kathy spoke with the Vanish podcast, she stated that the four searches consisted of the following. The first one was they brought a tracking dog in. Basically, it circled the Benton's house and that was it. Nothing came of it. The second time, the property was searched with cadaver dogs, but while getting set up and ready, apparently the Benton family was playing fetch with the dogs. And I don't know the rules on that. It can't, I mean, or, I mean, I didn't think that they brought the dogs out until it was time to do the search, you know, so they wouldn't be stimulated. Right. Like wrong. But then the local news apparently showed up and they requested a statement from the family, which apparently made like Joey's father like pissed and he made everybody leave. So since there was no warrant, he didn't have to let, you know, he could yeah. ask him to leave and there's no issue. Third, the pond was drained and a professor from UT, I think Knoxville, came in with ground penetrating radar. And again, this is done without a search warrant. So Kathy says that she has a statement from the UT professor, which states the search was a waste of time. Why was it a waste of time? Uh, because they were not allowed to search or access a large amount of the property. So a proper search was not conducted. They were limited, again, to only certain areas. Right. Now, from what I gathered in that interview, they had access to hundreds of acres, but they themselves only lived on about an acre. That's not a lot, but it's enough. And if you don't have access to all of it. Sure. It's, it's a lot, I mean. A lot of area. And, the, and if somebody like that's going to say it's a waste of time, that's concerning. Okay, now the fourth search did not include the police, but instead was funded by Kathy and put together in conjunction with two other organizations. However, the Bentons wouldn't allow them to search their property, so they were limited to searching the surrounding properties. At least, I guess, maybe they know that they weren't in any surrounding areas. Yeah. Now, on the four-year anniversary of Jennifer and Adriana's disappearance, a vigil was being held at a local church, which was near the Benton property. According to Kathy, during the vigil, the Benton started firing guns into the ground. The cops were called, and when they arrived, they took statements from the Bentons, but never spoke to anyone that was at the vigil, which was around 75 in attendance. The reason they only spoke to them was because they were the ones that had called the police and reported that an angry mob of people were at the local cemetery shooting guns. What? So they were shooting guns? And then they said they they were doing it. An angry mob was at the cemetery shooting guns. On the anniversary of the girl's disappearance, the local newspaper runs an article about some vandalism that had occurred at the local cemetery. So since the local cemetery was connected to the church where the vigil had been held, during the vigil, they were going to do a balloon release, which occurred inside the cemetery because it was right there. Mm -hmm. Now, after the mob of people 
left, it had been discovered by the Benton family that there were three headstones in the cemetery that had been spray-painted with justice for Jen. Jennifer and Adriana's family had had shirts made up with that exact verbiage on it. So on the Vanished podcast, you can hear a news report about the gunshots occurring at the vigil, and you can hear them speak with Joey Benton, but I can no longer locate that footage. And I can't locate the specific article that Kathy is referencing about the vandalism. So So apparently... Who did the vandalism? uh, Pretty sure it was the Bentons. She's assuming it is the Bentons because it was not there when they were there. And this made the front page paper. So think of it like this. This is how I was thinking about it. It's the four-year anniversary. All these people are out there. And if you have called the police because of gunshots fired and there's this angry mob, and then after they leave, there's three headstones that have been, uh, they have graffiti on them. What you're doing is the attention is taken away from the two missing individuals and it's put over here as if this angry mob is so mad that they're destroying property, Mm. which doesn't make sense. Now, I don't know if the Bentons did it, but that's the large assumption is that they did. But it is concerning that the police wouldn't have talked to the people in attendance at the vigil if gunshots were fired. Right. Because there were children there. There were elderly there. Why would you not make sure everybody's okay? And if you're taking the attention off of the missing girls... People don't care eventually because it's like, well, every time we have a vigil, something like this happens, which is not true. From what I can tell, it's only been this one time. That's It's not them. What would they get out of that? Whose headstones were vandalized? It makes no sense. I don't know. That is strange. So according to Kathy, the police initially never treated Jennifer's disappearance as a missing person's case. It took two years for the case to even be classified as missing persons. On December the 16th of 2014, 10 years after Jennifer and Adriana's disappearance, the Robertson County Sheriff's Office reclassifies the case from missing persons to a homicide investigation. They even set up a specific hotline so that anyone with information could call and provide anonymous tips. The reasoning for the change, like why they reclassified the case, was due to the discovery of some recent evidence within the past few weeks. But from what I can find, the evidence or official reasoning for the change has not been made public, and Kathy doesn't even know what the evidence is or could be. One last thing that I want to bring up that Kathy talked about was an incident that occurred concerning a police report. So Joey and his father apparently went to the police station stating that the police were trying to entrap Joey over him making the four-door Mustang statement. Both claim that he never said that he saw a four-door Mustang. Since Joey is a Mustang enthusiast, and he apparently owned two of them, and he knows there is no such thing as a four-door Mustang, there would be no reason for him to ever make a statement like that. The sheriff's response to this allegation was to change the police report and fire the officer that filled out the report. What? (laughs) No. Kathy even went to the officer's hearing and testified against the sheriff. She also stated that after asking the sheriff why he would do such a thing and mess up the entire investigation, his response was that if the investigation was messed up, it's because the officer that filled out the report is the one that messed it up. How do you go against your own officer and side with a suspect or person of interest in a case like this? Just because they said so. Yeah. So here's weird. To, like, think of it from a different perspective. This is odd all by itself. Did this officer, had he been having issues? Like, has this happened before? Was he not good at his job? Has he already been in trouble? Maybe, yeah. It seems like there definitely had been something else. Something was going on. But that seems like a bit much. Why would you fire him? You know, Could have been the last straw. But, yeah, that is very strange. Uh Uh-huh. 
At the time of her disappearance, Jennifer Wicks was described as a Caucasian female with brown hair and brown eyes. She had red highlights in her hair, a tribal tattoo on her lower back, two piercings in each ear, and she wore eyeglasses. She was between 5'4", 5'6", weighed around 125, 135 pounds. And in 2021, this year, she would be 38 years old. At the time of her disappearance, Adriana Wicks was described as a Caucasian female with brown hair and green eyes. She had a birthmark on the front of her upper right thigh. She was 3'5", weighed around 25 pounds. And in 2021, this year, she would be 19 years old. If you have any information on Jennifer or Adriana Wicks, please call the Robertson County Sheriff's Office at 615-384-7971 or the TBI at 1-800-TBI-FIND. And unfortunately, they this whole thing is so, God, so weird. Yeah, they're all so weird. Why did they take so long to even classify this as a missing person? Here's my question is, Kathy had made the statement, you know, she kept being told, you know, she's 21, she can do what she wants. And I get that. But there's a child, and once this guy's story changed more than once, would you not possibly think maybe she's endangered? I would think, yeah, as soon as I hadn't heard from her and it being unusual, especially after days go by. Yeah. Yeah, it's a missing person. And, I mean, I, I just feel like any time there's a child that's missing, it needs to be taken serious. Even if they are with the parent. Like, obviously, there were lots of things happening. There was... The subject of the Topics Forum was brought up. You know what that is? No. Topics is a forum where people could put, they start conversations. They could get on there and you can say whatever you want. Now, it was shut down in 2018, but apparently there was a lot of conversation about this missing case. And there was a lot of back and forth with people that were for like finding Jennifer and Adriana, but then there was also people for the Benton family. And there was a lot of victim blaming in the sense, because at this point, it's a homicide investigation. They're victims. But there were people blaming Jennifer for certain things. And it was apparently pretty disgusting. I couldn't even find an archival of that, which is probably good. It probably just really pissed me off. I don't understand the need to go out of your way to victim blame somebody or to cause problems for a family that's already lost two family members to try to make them look bad. I feel like that says a lot. And they can't get a warrant to search the property because they don't have, like, justification. I feel like they could have gotten a warrant. Yeah, I feel like they, they should have been able to get one and do well, a thorough search. Yes. So, and even with a warrant, you, you're limited. I'm sure it's very difficult now to get one. Maybe not. It's been know. a long time ago, though, so. Yeah. Oh, and the mom does do an annual motorcycle ride called the Chain of Hope in honor of Jennifer and Adriana. And that's probably something that donate to, I'm assuming. So we will be back uh, next Tuesday. And don't forget to like us, love us, share us, rate us on all the platforms you can. Yeah. We'll be doing mermaids next week. No, we're not. Until next time. If you know something, say something. Yeah. Secrets don't make friends. Secrets keep friends. Hmm. Is that not? No. Okay. Bye. Until next time, fellow Absurdians, remember, everything you've heard is true, monsters are real, and the strangers in black are not a figment of your imagination. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes or your favorite podcast streaming service. Do you have a story you want to share? Contact us at eerieandabsurd at gmail.com or visit our website at eerieandabsurd.com to submit a suggestion. 
You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram, both at eerie underscore absurd.